you're listening to the MOG channel. Hi guys, welcome to my podcast. This is MOG Channel, where we'll help you to see a real and practical Christianity from God's Word. If you're new here, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. By the way, if you have not watched The Prince of Egypt, my goodness, you need to go and watch The Prince of Egypt, wherever you can find it. It's amazing. That was the soundtrack you just listened to, and I'm a big fan till today. It's actually one of the best made, um, will I say, I think it's Disney or DreamWorks, one of the best made cartoons till date. Uh, you may beg to differ but that's your business so today we're going to be looking at the hardness of heart okay um specifically that god hardens hearts or does he that's that's how it is i don't know how i'm going to word the caption by the time i'm done recording this but the, it's the hardness of heart we're basing on two texts of scripture actually um talking about the same event exodus chapter 7 verse 2 exodus 4 verse 21 Okay, 421 says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Exodus 7 verse 2, You shall speak all I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And multiply my sins and wonder out in the land of Egypt. He says, But Pharaoh will not listen to you, that I may lay my hand on Egypt. Okay, and so, so here it's quite interesting. What this seems to be saying literally is God saying, look, the children of Israel are in bondage. They've been there for 400 years. I want to bring them out. So go and tell Pharaoh, the leader of that land, to let them go, that I'm the God. All right? I'm their God. I'm the God who made everything and all that. Tell him to let them go. But I will harden his heart. I will make him stubborn so that he will um, not let them go, right? then I will now judge him, blow his head and destroy Egypt, you know, and he'll let them go. So, I mean, it sounds weird. It sounds off. Like, are we saying that God can just harden someone's heart like that? And if he has done it before, that means he can do it again. That means that people may be stubborn because their hearts are hardened. People may not believe in God because he has hardened their hearts. I mean, the implications of this are actually quite staggering. So the question is, does God do this? Because if he does this, the truth about it is that, yeah, is he God? Yes. Can he do it? Yes. Does he have the ability to? Yes. But is it moral? Is it right? And I think that that's where there's a question. Is it right if God hardens someone's heart? Is it right? And does he actually do it? And I'm saying this because if you go to James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone. Are you seeing that? He says, God cannot be tempted to do evil. Okay? And he does not tempt anybody. So he will never push you to do evil. And, and definitely from this, he's saying he will never harden you so you will do evil. Because you see, the hardness of heart is actually a sin. We see Pharaoh actually saying, you know, in that same Exodus, talking about what he said, I have sinned against God. When he actually calls for, when some of those plagues have hit and he now says, I've sinned against God. So, he knew that stubbornness was a sin against God. That is, to resist God was a sin. Are you seeing that? So, the question is, if God hardened his heart, are we saying that God caused him to sin against him? Because if that's the case, I mean, what stops God from doing that to you or to me or throughout history? So, it's a very, very serious topic that we have to tackle, okay? 
All right. Um, first of all, free will is in question. If God truly hardens hearts, then he is controlling. It also means that scriptures contradicts itself. So if God hardens hearts, then that means he's controlling people. He is not really giving people free will. But that looks contradictory because in Genesis 2, we see where God tells man to choose between life and death. The tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we know that those are choices. It's not They were not literal trees. Are you with me? Aha. Uh-huh. So he tells man, of every tree you may freely eat. And the Bible says, that's he's talking about in the garden. And the garden there literally was, was a, well, not literally, figuratively, there was a tree of life in the midst of the garden. That's what the Bible said. Then, outside of the garden there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil we usually assume that both were inside the garden okay so if that is the case god now said of every tree you may freely eat but he said of this other one you don't eat he commanded them all right that's genesis 2 he commanded them so if he commanded them and he puts two choices before them all right, and um, we see another text where he said, I've said before you this day, life and death, blessing and cursing. So there's always this choice, and God said the choice before them, Genesis 2. Can we now say that they were robots? No, obviously, they had a choice, even if God commanded them or guided them, says, Do this, this is what's good for you that you may live. They decided to do what they wanted to do. There was a choice, they had a choice in the matter. So if God tampers with free will, is he moral? He's God, he can do it, but is it right? I don't think he's right. Why? Because he's one who gave it to man. Genesis 1.26, he says, let them have dominion. God wants man to actually um, choose to follow him. God wants man to actually you know, exercise his free will. Are you seeing that? That's what makes it valuable when we decide to follow God because we willingly follow him. Are you seeing that? We willingly follow him and we're able to have that dominion he, he spoke to us about in Genesis chapter 1. Alright, so let's move on. So, it also means scriptures contradict itself. That's if it's true. If God hardens hearts, scriptures contradict itself. Because we see James, on one hand, say that God does not do such. Yet we see here that it says God does that. So, question: what's, what's going on? Now, one rule of Bible study is that scriptures are not conflicting or contradictory. Okay? There's something called the inerrancy of scriptures. Scriptures are without error. They are inspired by God. They are, they are God's word. So, they don't contradict themselves. They don't conflict. Rather, it's going to be an issue of more or careful examination. One of the things you have to understand about the Bible is that you cannot make conclusions on it when you have not read the whole book severally. Let me say it again. You cannot make conclusions concerning the Bible when you have not read it severally, several times over. And that's one of the biggest issues that we um, have with so-called atheists and many of these people who seem to want to contradict scriptures because they just pick one text and say, aha, see this, ver- see this verse, see that verse, see that verse, see that verse. I say, this Bible is rubbish, it's in error. No, 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 no. There's a lot of dishonesty in that sense because if you really want to say you understand the book, then you should have read it several, read it several times, read it in context, paid close attention, serious attention. The kind of attention that Jesus was always accusing the Pharisees of not you know, doing because he would always tell them, Have you not read? Have you not read? This scripture, these are people that from birth, all right, not maybe not from birth, but from, from childhood, they had studied. They were, these are people who had memorized the scriptures, the Old Testament by heart. And Jesus would tell them, Have you not read? That means they, they were not paying attention to the details. So, Bible study requires that you pay attention to details. You don't just run off and say anything you want to say because it's popular. Alright? Just say, oh, no, no, God is evil, God is wicked. No. 
if you are looking at what is contradictory, looks contradictory on the surface, have you read all the books? Have you paid attention to the books? Have you studied it carefully? Have you done your research well? Are you seeing that? And part of doing research also involves learning from the scholars, learning from people who have actually gone ahead, checking out their own views on, on, on many of these things and then making up your own mind. So many of us have not done their due diligence and then they just make assumptions or assertions that are not true. Okay, so now when it comes to the Bible, it's it's the inspiration, it was given by the inspiration of God. Timothy, that should be 2 Timothy chapter 3. Yes, verse 16. Okay, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So that inspiration is that men were inspired to write. Because we're talking about scripture. Scripture is the word, you know, from the word script. And it's it means to write. Are you seeing that? Scripture. Second Timothy 3 verse 15. From childhood you have known the holy scripture. Are you seeing that? So it's a writing. There's a writing. So what was inspired was actually the writing of the scriptures. To put down those events or prophecies or stories or things that happened. To document them was the inspiration or by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Okay. So if we are dealing with men... Okay, because if the scriptures were written, it was written by men. So if we're dealing with men, then we must understand what the men of that time or culture or language knew. Every language is an expression of the culture and every culture is different. Okay, so the Jewish culture must be studied to understand truly what scripture says or says because scriptures come through the filter of that language and culture. So let me break that down. The Jewish language is what the bible was written in so at least the old testament at least major portions of it the people of that time were hebrews they were jews so you can't claim to understand the scriptures or what they wrote when you don't understand the culture you don't understand the people. You don't understand how they spoke. Because even if God inspired it, it was written down in the language of men, not the language of God. Men's language. And men's language is full of stuff. Men's language is full of figures of speech. Men's language is saturated with culture. That means the culture of men of a certain place influences their language. All right? It's so serious that even in Nigeria, there are certain... okay. In Akwaibum, for example, you have the, the Ibibios. Then you have, if you go to, is it, uh, some people will come for me on this. But if you, if you go to, I think, is it Cross River or so, um, you, then you now see they speak Efik or Efuk, as they will say. Now, many people think Efik and Ibibio are the same thing, but they're not. And then if you tell Ibibios, um, you buy Efik, they say, we're not Efik, we're Ibibios. You know, there's a very strong cultural um, identity around that. People don't want to you to make mistakes about it. And the language, I've heard both, all right? <laughs> I've heard both languages, and I can tell you there are differences, but to the unlearned, they look like the same thing, they sound like the same thing, but there are differences. There are major differences in the language. So if this is similar, similar, you know, very, very similar people, but there's a difference in their language, how much more if you talk about the ancient Bible times, if you talk about the Hebrews, the Jews, by the way, even the language that the Jews used back then, and what the Jews use now, there's been so much evolution of the language because language always evolves. I see that language evolves. So what used to be um, or mean one thing, 
I mean, let's say for example, in the 1990s or 1980s, even in the English language, what used to mean something, all right, now means something else. For example, in those days, if they say um, you're being gay or something, gay used to be um, what's that? It used to be an emotional expression, some emotional. I think gay. I think it used to mean. I think it used to mean being happy. All right. So back then, that's how that's how it used to be. But now, if you say gay, someone can fight you. Oh, you're gay. Someone can slap you. You know what I'm saying? Aha. Uh-huh. So culture and language evolves over time. And you can't ignore this one fact when you are studying the scriptures. You can't ignore the fact that culture, you know, evolves over time. And there are many things to look out for in culture. That's why if you read the Yoruba Bible and read the English Bible, you're looking at two different things. That There's so much in the Yoruba culture that when you translate from English in there, there are things that are probably lost. All right? If you're translating, let's say, folklore or an adage from Yoruba culture um, or the Yoruba language into English, there are things that are lost. You, you should know what I'm talking about if you are um language savvy all right things are lost so the same thing with the hebrew language the bible the old testament was written in the hebrew language okay and so what that means is that you must look and ask yourself what did hebrew culture know what were their cultural values what were things because if you don't understand that many things will be swept under the rug are you seeing that the hebrews used lots of figures of speech in fact, let me say this. Your Bible is so heavy on figures of speech. If you don't know this thing, you're going to enter a ditch. Figures of speech dominate the scriptures. There are so many. So many figures of speech. So many. There, there are too many, in fact. I think the Bible is like the book with the most figures of speech. Right from Genesis. You know, you look at, you see how they're using it. Genesis 2, Tree of Life. Tree of Knowledge. Those things are not real. Are you seeing that? Or... Um, Genesis 3, the serpent was more subtle. That thing was not a snake, and we know that because of Revelation 12. That calls that he said that old serp that he calls him the dragon at that point. He now says the dragon, that old serpent, the devil. So you see, figures of speech, figures of speech used to convey different things. There are different figures of speech. If you ever studied that in school, you should know. Go back to school, go back and learn your figures of speech. If you want to understand your Bible well. One thing you must understand is figures of speech. You must go back and study figures of speech to study your Bible. Bible study is serious work. It's hard work. All right? So, idioms now also have a serious place in scriptures. Idioms have a serious place in scriptures, in the Hebrew language. Now, what are idioms? All right? Now, I wrote it down for you guys so that it will stick. Idioms are phrases that have a meaning totally disconnected from the literal meaning. Let me say it again. Idioms are phrases that have a meaning totally disconnected from the literal meaning. So, I'll give you an example. He kicked the bucket. Please, what does kicking the bucket have to do with what we know it means? He kicked the bucket, but it means what? He died, right? How do those two even relate? That's an idiom, right? He kicked the bucket. The literal meaning is that you kick something. Kick a bucket. But yet, we know that if you say that somewhere, People may stop and look at you in a very serious and worried manner. Who died? Are you seeing that? Who died? <laughs> so, that's interesting. Um, there are other, for example, raining cats and dogs. That's another idiomatic expression. Raining cats and dogs. Please, what do, do cats and dogs have to do literally with rain? Are you seeing that? It just means it's raining heavily. But if you look at the two statements, the literal meaning of it has nothing 
as in zero, zilch, nada, to do with the figurative or the the expression that we all know it means. Are you seeing that? Uh-huh. Other ones are going downhill from here or eat your heart out. Those are all, you know, figures of speech. Those are all idioms. So, idioms um, are very heavy in the Jewish culture and there's a certain, a particular idiom you must know when you are studying the Old Testament, especially when you are studying the scriptures. Okay? Now, are you ready for it? Here we go. God is said, you know, God is said in the Hebrew language or the Jewish culture, God is said to do what he merely permitted or predicted. Let me say it again. God is said to do what he merely permitted or predicted. Mm. That's interesting. Yes. So, it means that God is, God takes, in the Hebrew culture, God takes responsibility for what he did not do. And the idea is that he is God. Okay? But even if he is not involved in this thing directly, okay, they, you know, he's given that place of, oh, you did it. Are you seeing that? You did it. So, let me just reiterate again so that you, you, you get what I'm saying. So, in that Jewish culture, so, um, many times, if something happened, let's say, um, a natural disaster happened, they will say, oh, the Lord does, the Lord give it the Lord ticket. You know, they can say something like that. We say that in Job. We say the Lord give it the Lord ticket, right? We see that in other places where something happens, right? And if you look at the activity that occurred, maybe, for example, the children of Israel, they, um, were disobedient again and then the Assyrians or the Babylonians come and then chase them out of their land and, you know, destroy the whole thing, kill everybody. Then now say the Lord is the one that took us out of our land. You know, it's given the responsibilities ascribed to God. Are you seeing that? Aha. Uh-huh. But meanwhile, he was not directly involved. Are you seeing that? So, understanding that particular thing will actually help us when it is, you know, when we look at this text. So, if you look at the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, you see, it is rendered, God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. But according to the Jewish language, all right, if God allowed Pharaoh to harden his heart, they will say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Did you see that? That's a very interesting thing to note. Now, we can't also just get our understanding of what it means to harden the heart from one place. We must investigate the scriptures to know what hardness of heart really means. Wherever you see hardness of heart, if we study everything, we should be able to arrive at the conclusion of what hardness of heart truly means. Okay? And I'll just give you the expo at once that the hardening of heart is actually taught as unbelief. Refusing to believe in the face of concrete evidence. In this case, refusing to believe God. That is the hardening of heart. And I'm going to prove it to you. Hebrews 3 verse 7. Look at this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion in the day of the trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. So, here what happened. The children of Israel, right, if you know the story, after they left Egypt, first of all, in Egypt, they saw God's might. They saw the power of God in Egypt. Then when they left Egypt, they saw God's might for 40 years. He, he thinks he did stuff. The Bible says that their sandals, when they wore their, their sandals, their sandals never, um, what's the word, never wore out and it grew with them. So if you had sandals as a child, as you grew, you just find out that you never ever needed to change your sandals, buy bigger ones because these ones kept on growing. They saw at, at night there was a pillar of fire 
literally in the assembly that gave them warmth and gave them light at night. By day, it was a pillar of cloud. They saw this stuff. Several times they were thirsty and, I mean, water came out of a rock. For God's sake, water came out of a rock. There was a time they were hungry and quails, birds literally flew into the camp from nowhere, from far away. They just flew into the camp and they had meat for, for how long? When they were hungry, this is in the wilderness, manna, they would wake up in the morning and they would see manna. Manna just means what is this? They didn't know what that was. They would see manna on the, on the ground, literally. Like, they would see this, this food that God rained from the heavens. And, you know, this is what they saw for how many years? For 40 years. And it still says, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. These people rebelled against God. Are you seeing that? They rebelled. She said, therefore, I was angry at that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Are you seeing that? So they refused to believe in God. Like, even after everything they saw, they still refused to believe in God or his plan for them. They refused. In the face of evidence. You know, these guys were actually crazy, man. There was, if you remember the story, um, uh, <laughs> When they were supposed to go into each, um, to cross into the promised land, they sent the 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb included, and they came back and they said, oh, the other one said, man, we can't take that land. That, that land is terrible. Bible says that these guys cried. I think it says they cried all night. I'm trying to, I hope I'm getting it correct. Is that that or another incident? It says they cried all night. And that incident actually says that the men, the men literally came out of their tent and cried like babies all night. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> these guys, their unbelief was strong. They, they are unbelief. They, these are people that they left Egypt. They were bonded, but their whole, their all their years when they were fantasizing about going back to Egypt, they refused to believe God. They ref, they so refused to believe God. That's why in that generation of people from the age of twenty down, all of them no sorry, that's twenty up. All of them died. God used forty years for that whole generation to die out, so that a new generation of faith could arise. They did not believe God. They were so riddled in their unbelief. These guys were experts at unbelief. So God was, of course, obsessed with that generation and said, they always go as in their hearts. She said, I swear in my rod, they shall not enter my rest. And we're going to see that the reason they could not enter their rest was the unbelief. Are you seeing that? So if we go down to um, verse 16, that's Hebrews 3.16. It says, for who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses... He says, now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was he not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? So, what, where, where God was upset with them was, he said, okay, let's send Joshua Caleb, let these guys cross into the, you know, into the promised land. When those 10 spies came back, they all had unbelief. That, that is, they filled the congregation with fear and unbelief. And the congregation refused to acknowledge all the things that God had done for them over time. They discarded all that stuff and just focused here. This, imagine these guys. They had already won some battles before that time. People who came against them, they had won battles. Things had happened. You get. There was no reason why they could not trust that God was going to see them through. Yet, they kept on erring. They kept on disbelieving God in the face of evidence. This is what we call the hardening of the heart. Are you seeing that? So, he says, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion, verse 16, for whom having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses, now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? 
And to whom did he swear that by that they will not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Are you seeing that? So their hearts were hardened and it's called what? Unbelief. Unbelief is the act of hardening your heart, refusing to believe God. It's not the same as doubt. Doubt is, I need more evidence. I'm not sure because I don't think the evidence is substantial. But when the evidence is there and you look at it and say, I refuse to believe, that is unbelief. That, and that's what sends people to hell anyway. Unbelief, not even doubt. You may doubt the gospel. I'm not sure it's true. But the one when you see it in the face of evidence, you refuse. That is unbelief. We see with Jesus, okay, Mark chapter 3 verse 1 and he entered the synagogue again and a man was there with a withered hand so they closed so they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the sabbath so that they might accuse him this is the pharisees who were watching would he heal this guy let's accuse him that he's walking on the sabbath and he said to the man with his withered hand step forward then he said to them is it lawful on the sabbath to do good or to do evil to save life or to kill but they kept silent why did they keep silent they were malicious. Are you seeing that? They were not interested. They, you actually find that these guys were not interested in what God had to say. They were not interested in what God actually meant in his word. They, they, they didn't care. At that point, they were only just jealous of Christ. This guy must go. We don't care whether it's will of God or not. Their hearts were hardened. They, in, with all the things that just has shown, they refused to believe in him. They were more about themselves, their egos. So they just closed their hearts to him. So he says, and when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by what? The hardness of their hearts. Are you seeing that? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with Herodians against him. How they made this dream. Can, can you imagine? They immediately went out. That is, they didn't care what good he had done. They didn't want to know. They just know this guy must go. They were looking for us to trap him. Once he did that, they just went out to plot. How can we kill this man? It just tells you the wickedness, the evil of these men's hearts. Are you seeing that? Look at even the disciples of Jesus also. The same thing was their hearts were hardened. Mark chapter 16 verse 9. Now when he rose early on the sixth, the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven demons. This is when he rose from the dead. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when, So these guys were mourning and weeping. Why? Because Jesus had died and they did not believe he was going to come back to life. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Are you seeing that? They said, Mbano, it's a lie. This is a woman telling you, we have seen this man. They refused to believe. Verse 12, after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went to the country, two disciples. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Are you seeing that? So, the women came first. You say, Mbano, I don't believe. Two other disciples saw it. They say, we refuse to believe. They lie. Verse 14. It says, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and what? Hardness of heart. Actually, their unbelief is the hardness of heart. Are you seeing that? So, unbelief is taught as... So, what is the problem here? You know, they did not believe after he had, he had risen. He had told them he would rise. People saw it and told them and they refused to believe. So that's hardness of heart. Are you seeing that? That is how it is taught in scriptures. Okay? So if we now take this back to Pharaoh, let's look at a text that will also help us see something. Okay? Hardness of heart is the refusal to believe. 
Now, look at 1 Samuel chapter 6 verse 2. This is a report of the Philistines concerning what happened with Pharaoh back then. He said, And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of God? Tell us how we should send it to his place. So the story goes that the Israelites had lost the battle. This was when um, Eli was um, the high priest. And we know that Eli, the Israel sinned and Satan was able to take advantage of that. The Ark of the Covenant was, was captured. And so the Philistines took the Ark and put it in the temple of their God. And then things started happening to them that were just really terrible. Things were some really terrible stuff. Their God, Dagon, you know, the statue fell in obeisance to the God. So they were afraid. They were actually afraid of... So they, were, they wanted to send this Ark away back to Israel. And so that's just what the narrative is. So let's just read on. So um, let's let's go down. So they, they said different things about what to do. You, you can go read verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. Okay. Verse 6 says, Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians? And Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he did mighty things among them. Did they not let the people go that they might depart? So he's saying, because things were happening in their land, people were dying and stuff like that. You know, Satan was having a few time. You know, because they had allowed that by taking the Ark of the Covenant. And so they are saying, look, they refer to the Egyptians. He says, these Egyptians and Pharaoh, he says, they hardened their hearts. They refused to believe God. Because if they had believed God, they would have believed what Moses said, that these are my, this, this are my people. And they would have let them go. They would have let them go. And they would have rejected all those their gods and begun to serve the true God. But they refused. And so we saw what happened. The plagues came on them. So that's the, so you can see from here, you see that it is the who hardened the heart. Was it God that hardened their heart? No. It is rendered that the Egyptians are the ones who hardened their hearts in the face of all the miracles that God did. So we can see clearly from here so far, God is not the one hardening the heart. Are you seeing that? So, because it was you can see from that text that it was not just Pharaoh that hardened his heart. His servants also hardened their hearts. Exodus 10 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show them these signs of mine. Exodus 10 verse 7. Now, we now see, so it's Pharaoh and his servants, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that be whose hearts are hardened. But look at what happened in verse 7. It says, Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this be, man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not know that yet that Egypt is destroyed? So after they had so many plagues had come upon them, hammer, <laughs> this guy said, I beg, Egypt has been destroyed. Please let them go. So I thought I thought God hardened the hearts of these guys now. Why are they now saying let them go? Why are they changing their mind? I thought if God hardens your heart, you can't change it. So we see clearly <laughs> that these people are the ones who hardened their heart. It was not God. I see that they changed their minds. They change their minds. So, what, what can we say about all this? All right, we can say that from what we've seen, from all the other texts we've read, God doesn't harden hearts. However, the problem is with how the writers rendered the text. They rendered as if God is the one who hardened those hearts. But rather, we can actually say more accurately that God allowed Pharaoh to harden his heart. Because he has free will. God allowed him. Yet, we see God's love. Why? God knew Pharaoh would harden his heart. He predicted it. And he knew this is what's going to happen. 
but he allowed, he still gave him an opportunity to repent. Because God knows the future. God knows whether you are just a stubborn human being that will refuse the gospel completely. You don't want the gospel. You will refuse it to the end. You will decide to refuse it. But it doesn't mean he will not send someone to preach to you. It doesn't mean he will not give you the opportunity because of his foreknowledge. He may know, but in his love, he will still allow you the opportunity to hear the gospel. And that's what happened with Pharaoh here. He sent Moses to persuade him to change his mind. And when he wouldn't, he allowed the plagues of Egypt, by the way, to happen. Because the Egyptians, all right, had lots of diseases in that time. It's, it's actually in history, there was something called the plagues of Egypt. They really had plenty of plagues. So God just removed his hand. And that's what God does. When you resist God, resist God, God will just allow the things he has been holding back by your free will you say I don't want if you reject God you can't just reject God and not reject his provision and reject his security reject other things no if you reject God you reject everything and so God is actually the one holding see the fact that this world has not fallen into complete chaos there's a God that's the truth and so in this case what does God do you refuse you still refuse to believe you refuse so he allows and he allows because of man, because that is what man wants, not because that is what pleases him. You have to understand that. We'll break that down in some further episodes anyway. All right? So he gives him the opportunity. These plagues occur. Yet we know the guy's heart is still hardened. He had at least 10 different opportunities to repent. But he refused. Until finally, he opened the door and the devil came and took his son. <laughs> And that's when he finally said, I let them go. But then what happened again? He became stubborn again. He hardened his heart. His Egypt, fellow Egyptians hardened their hearts again and they pursued them. And then that is how they all drowned in the river. Are you seeing that? So God here was actually also evangelizing to them, if I may use that word. Trying to show them he was the one true God. The Egyptians had many gods. They had many gods. And so, one of the things that God said to Moses was that he was going to judge the gods of Egypt. Are you seeing that? He was going to judge those gods, you know, these gods that um, that these people had, um, these Egyptians. That he was going to judge those good, their gods. And so, what happened there was, if you notice the 10 plagues, they were actually very, very, um, will I say doctrinal, in the sense that they all attacked a certain god. For example, you had the sun god Ra. What happened? There was darkness all over Egypt, except in the land of Goshen. You know, and that actually showed the superiority of the Hebrew god. That this was the god that made every single thing. The response of these people was repentance. That was supposed to be their response. Repentance, realizing the error of their ways and repentance. But we know what happened. They refused and that's what happened to them. Hallelujah. So, from this, we can clearly deduce that God does not harden hearts. God is not in the business of hardening hearts. He doesn't do that. He's not wicked. All right? Rather, man hardens his heart. Man refuses to believe. Man takes that position, not God. Okay? So, guys, with that, I think we've been able to wrap this up. I hope you've been blessed. I hope you've understood. Of course, if you have any questions, you can always hit me up at psc.sn on Instagram. All right, and of course you want to share this with somebody and help them to understand this concept so that they can appreciate God, you know, in a new way. They may re- they can realize His goodness that He's not out there hardening people's hearts. I beg, <laughs> guys. That's it. Have a wonderful day. God bless you and bye bye. 
if this blessed you or you want to say hi or you have a question, you can head over to my Instagram at pst.essien, pst.essien.